Welcome to Work Everywhere, a podcast brought to you by Allware, the company that equips teams with everything they need to work from anywhere. I'm your host, Ben Kessler, Chief Growth Officer, and my co-host today is Veronica Kellman, Content Marketing Lead. In this episode, we're joined by Oscar Madsen, Allware's very own founder and CEO. Prior to founding Allware, Oscar's curiosity about the future of work and workplace innovation led him to the early team at WeWork, where he spent five years. He later joined an early-stage startup in the thick of the pandemic and began to see the need for a solution that helps distributed companies equip their employees with everything they need to thrive in their workplace, which over the last two years has evolved into Allware. In today's conversation, we chat about the most important components of the distributed employee experience, mastering the basics of onboarding and offboarding, how companies can work to settle the office versus home debate, and what his predictions are for the next decade in the world of work. Oscar, I can't believe you finally made it onto the podcast. You're so hard to get a hold of. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, thanks for being here on the Allware pod, Mr. Allware himself. Thanks for having me. You know, we always start off, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. And in doing that, um, tell us a little bit about your career journey and what, and we'll get into the founding of Allware a bit more, but what led you to becoming the, the founder and CEO of Allware kind of through the context of your, of who you are and your career journey? Sure. So first of all, I mean, I've been hearing about all the other great podcasts and I'm so excited for just the show to come together. And just thanks for the time, guys. I'm really, really jazzed about this and the hour that I'm excited to have together. So I'm Oscar Matson, uh, founder and I suppose CEO of Allware. I will also say as an aside, like that's never going to feel normal to say. You know, it felt funny when we were when we were one employee, when we were zero. It was just me sitting in a common area where we were thinking about ideas. All the way through to where we are today, with many more people in multiple states working together, it still feels strange, but it's really been a lot of fun. And then. As it relates to a career journey, I'll get to more of this later in our time together, but I was a history of work nerd before there was a future of work. And it was something that I, I studied in school and it was, I'd always been kind of interested in, I guess I was pre-adults, you know, I was a student and I was thinking about, wow, you know, how do people spend their time and their day and really being kind of introspective and thoughtful about that and got me to thinking, well, as an adult, how do you spend your time? And, and typically you spend it working. and so. That led to a bit of an obsession over what that means, what that is, and then ended up, I was very fortunate in school to find that there was a history major that tracked that over time. And so you got to see the interplay of technology and people and what introductions of technologies did to people and then economic markets. And if you can't tell, I'm a cerebral nerd on these things and I just loved it and enjoyed it. And that ended up kind of being the common thread. And so early in my career, I went to work at WeWork, which was a, a brave young company uh, at the time, quite unknown when I was joining in 2015, and really just went there and loved the platform they were going after. And then that then took me later, you know, I was there for kind of five or six years and then went off and to work at a uh, kind of a workflow tool that was in the future of workspace, but really focused on kind of like back office automation. And then lastly, to Allware. So it started with a really nerdy cerebral interest. And then it's it's carried me through kind of a couple of those uh, those career steps. Yeah, that's great. And I think this is something that we've just talked 
a lot about internally, kind of how you really are an expert in the future of work. And it's something that you've been really interested in for a long time. So I know that you hinted at this um, in your previous answer, but tell us a little bit more about how that interest grew. Like, how were you led to wanting to study that and then later on kind of work in that? Because it's really kind of been the theme of your career. And then alongside that, what are some common threads that you've seen as the world has moved from exclusively in-person work to flexible work? Because I think most of us, we only have the perspective of people who have seen this evolution taking place over the course of our lifetimes, but you have the perspective of someone who knows that wider history and can kind of fit this current era into the pattern of the other eras that have come before it. So I think that would be really interesting for people to be able to contextualize what's happening right now into what's happened for, you know, the hundreds of years that have come before this. Yeah, and I think I'm really excited to answer that question. I'll come full circle to it. But I think what's pretty extraordinary is like what we've seen is pretty unprecedented. You really couldn't have forecasted it. And as somebody who looked a lot at work trends and and the way people were working, especially when I was at WeWork and what were the behaviors of offices and kind of 2016 land, we were thinking about, well, how do we turn cities into a campus of offices where big tech was taking a corner of a city and with multiple buildings interacting between them, but all within the confines of a five-day-a-week work week and certainly living very close to that that hub, uh, that hub of business. And I'll come back to that, but like zooming out a bit of what kind of informed my interest, I think like many people know, so I'm a millennial and so I grew up with technology, very aware of the, the word technology, though that word has far greater historical meaning for what it actually means. Technology doesn't necessarily mean a microchip. Technology has much more to doing kind of working with a tool that that solves a problem. And so that you, well, we'll zoom out on that. But, you know, just being a kid who yeah, had an iPod and just saw how this iPod fundamentally changed my life in many ways in the way that I interacted with music and the way that I interacted with people and how badly I wanted that thing and hoped and hoped and hoped I'd be able to get one and the behavioral aspects of it. And so when I took that thread through school, it was really sociological and historical look at the introduction of technologies throughout history. And so this wasn't about the iPod. The, you know, the iPod, to double click on that, this was about like, what did the printing press do? What did Gutenberg do to Europe? So the way that people interacted with each other, to the way that people learned, what did it do to economies? What role did it play in the Renaissance? What did the telegraph do? What did the telephone do? What did the mail service do? All the way through VHS versus Betamax. Why did one technology win versus the other? But, you know, tying it back into kind of like what we were talking about more across like some like the common threads we've seen is this is the change of work is that we've seen in the last you know couple of years since COVID-19 is really unprecedented across the board. And the research was saying going into it that it was going to take a external force to cause the change in the work model that we're seeing and that we've seen. And no one knew what that external force would be, but the technology had been ready for about a decade as it related to proficiency and proliferation of high-speed networks um, for people to be able to do video calling, chat technology had caught up so people could have side conversations, email was there, video conferencing, like I was saying, uh, was really working and kind of like telepresence. 
But if you kind of look at the, what everybody was saying, like everyone expected it to be external. And so if you look at kind of like the sections of time since the Industrial Revolution, we actually haven't had that many changes in the way in our, as it relates to our interaction with the office in easily, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, if you watch Mad Men or a kind of period drama, their office interaction looks pretty similar to an office interaction in 2013, 2014. And so what we saw was a kind of a black swan event, as was predicted. And when you have a market where the technology was ready to then make a huge change in the way that people were able to function. And so what you see is that remote work is not in and of itself about COVID-19. What it really did was it forced us, it kind of forced proof that remote and hybrid and alternative work methods are success can be successful in the right environments. And we were forced to do so, one big two-year-long mass experiment. And it was you know, fairly successful for a lot of people. And so I think that in many ways, it's really, it forced the change, but it isn't in and of itself that change. And so it's been a pretty wild ride, but really from a work nerd perspective, really can't overstate how big a shift this is uh, with people's interaction with the office and with each other. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of following on from this huge interest of yours and everything that you learned, what then brought you to entrepreneurship? Did you always see yourself as a founder? And then, of course, following on from that, tell us about, you know, how you were led to start Allware and how we're here today. For sure. So I would say it definitely wasn't like a dream on the wall or anything. It was never something that I specifically aspired to, though, as I thought about this, it was, I guess, some of the breadcrumbs were kind of primed and that both of my parents have started businesses of their own at different points in their careers. And so I saw that. And so I got to have a kind of a front row seat to starting something from scratch and what that looks like, how hard it is. You know, I would say principally is definitely something that I would say, but then also how fulfilling it can be because to do it, you really have to, you're going after something you believe in and you're charting a path because fundamentally, you know, implicit in the concept of entrepreneurship or starting a company is there is a belief that something can be done in a different way. There's there's another way to solve a problem. And likely the fact that we think that there's a, a way to solve that problem better or to serve a customer better one way or the other. And so, yeah, I would say the thought was kind of planted by looking at mom and dad as they had, and very different types of businesses. My dad was doing uh, kind of like it was computer, admittedly computer software in like the early 90s. He had a business and continues to be in that space. And then my mom had a drapery business and uh, a moving business, and most recently a decorator and working with seniors. And so that's been just really interesting to kind of see throughout it. And so as it relates to kind of like seeing myself as it, no, I think, you know, rolling into how we founded it. I had an interest and the world happened to change around me. And I started to have a real opinion that there was a real problem to be solved. And as I watched over kind of the full year of, of course, how COVID was developing and also how the employee's relationship with the office was shifting, I started to realize that there were the problem, the way I would solve it or the way I would want them solved for myself as an employee weren't popping up in the market. And it was really surprising to me. And so that kind of laid the first ideas for wanting to go and start something because fundamentally, I thought that there was a change that was creating a new problem that hadn't been solved before and people weren't solving it. So 
I guess, kind of like concretely tell us about the really early days of Allware and that kind of story of how the Genesis happened. But just to underscore one thing that you said that I think is interesting, we've talked to a couple of founders now in our podcast series. And I think that one thing that's been common is that a lot of the founders had entrepreneurship, you know, in their families, or they were early founders themselves, like maybe they founded like a very small business in like high school or college. And I think that's really cool. Because to someone like me, neither of my parents are founders. So to me, starting a company seems like an extremely terrifying thought. And I'm sure in in many ways, it is terrifying. But maybe it's a little bit less of a scary thought when it's something that was a little bit more, you know, normal in your life and in your childhood. I think like the other pattern I would look for in them is like fundamentally how naive and optimistic are they? I think like if you're increasingly naive and optimistic, you're far more likely to go on this path of starting a business. And also, admittedly, I'm being glib. It's also the other side of it is you really have to believe in what you want to go and found. And, you know, to answer the core of your question, let's rewind a little bit. I kind of breezed through my career pathing. But I was, let's see, so this was probably winter, 2020 was such a blur of time, right? It was such a time warp. Yeah, so coming into kind of like the winter of 2021. So winter of 2021, I was working at another company and I was a very early employee. I was a founding employee of a back office kind of automation and workflow tool that was aimed, it was a future workspace. It was aimed at companies that were left behind by a lot of the workflow benefits that like monday.com provided, like fiduciaries or insurance companies that had high security requirements and couldn't use those really great workflow tools. And so we were going after and solving that problem and we were a small company and we were distributed. We had folks kind of dotted around the New York metro area. And then we had folks in India as well. I was like a glue guy. I was doing a lot of different things for the team and the company. What ended up happening is, because we'd intended to be an in-office team, I found that we were about a 25-person team. I found that an outsized amount of my time as I was supporting the CEO was actually spent on things that typically, that, that were new, where I was having to get computers to places. So let's say I was like buying headsets and computers and keyboards and mice and shipping them to people's houses for their first day because they weren't going to be starting in the office. I was having to deal with Indian customs because we wanted to send a special type of high-performance computer that we could only get in in New York. I was packing swag boxes on my dining room table. I was on a first-name basis with the FedEx and UPS store around the corner as I was shipping business things kind of to and fro. And it's really interesting, as you understand my mindset, I was thinking about this, I was like, huh, this feels new. This isn't something that a company like us would have had to do before because typically it would have been 25 people in one place. We wouldn't have built a remote team or a hybrid team. And we would have just handed computers out to people. And from a swag perspective, once again, it's sitting in the box over by somebody's desk, you know, go grab what you want. But there was this thing that was new by the fact that companies were building teams that were no longer reliably in the same place. And I found that there was an issue. Three things were broken. And it was the fact that the employees, the people who support them and the equipment were no longer in the same place place on the same day. And so what that really 
got me thinking about was, oh, this is a real problem. And so what I wanted to do is to validate it. I went out and I, I took an experimental approach. I went and I called 10 friends. Basically, I had a solution which was very similar to Allware, which was you know one place to provide your employees with everything they need and not have to worry about the logistics associated with that. I called 10 people and I said, if this existed, would you use it? And the answer was a, was a really you know high percentage of yes. And I said, like, oh, that's interesting. So then the next step was reaching out to 30 people I didn't know and seeing if this thing existed, would they buy it? And then the performance on that was also extremely high. I was like, huh. And so then we built a, you know, kind of a, a mocked up website and started to flesh it out a little bit and continue to validate the idea. What kind of started to form was around this problem I had come across was very quickly something that started to look and feel like a business. From there, I started to have an understanding of how many people might want this and what kinds of companies might want it. And that has been a pursuit we've been on ever since and, uh, you know, raised some money and then kind of founded the company through that process, which was fundamentally, I myself had this problem validated it with a bunch of folks very quickly and had resounding feedback that it would be something they would want, and then uh, started the company. And, and that's been the journey we've been on ever since. You know, I think at a very base level, it sounds like shipping laptops and shipping swag and moving things back and forth. But so much of this is, you know, that getting the employee experience right. And that's a lot of the conversations that we've had, you know, on the podcast to date is, you know, supporting employees. What do you think is the most important, you know, you've had conversations with probably at this point, hundreds of people in the HR and IT space and people team leaders. What do you think are the most important components of employee experience now that it's not, for the most part, still not exclusively in person, you know, 100%. What do you think people have been missing still in that transition to flexible work, whether it is in office or it's hybrid or part of the team is remote? What are you hearing? Yeah, so I would say a couple of really interesting things happened. At the advent of kind of like hybrid and remote work, I think what we saw was a knee-jerk reaction to culture and experience. And this took the form oftentimes of really over-the-top perks and, and kind of one-off, one-timey things. And I think what was very interesting, and I understand why that occurred, but what was very interesting is those types of activities or like um, programs where you can give people points and kudos and they can buy things for themselves. What was very interesting was that pretty quickly, you know, the data showed that, that those were not employee experience enhancing activities. And so what was first seen at the advent as a real panacea for this problem really wasn't it. And employee kind of internal NPSs were still not great. And what people ended up realizing was the fact that they didn't have the basics down. They tried to throw some icing on some real fundamental problems, which was is having somebody have an amazing onboarding process. Those first 30 days are so, so crucial. And a key part of it is how do you interact with that candidate? What timeline did you set with them? Did you keep your promise? What did you say you were going to send and did you deliver it? Did they get introduced to their team? Did their team learn their name? What are those pieces associated with it? And so I would say as we went through the pain of 21, 22, and even into 23, I think you see a lot of teams that are just trying to get the basics right. And so I think that that's been a really interesting journey in the conversation that I've had with HR and IT folks is really the lesson that they were taught in the quick shift was they didn't have processes that were robust enough for this change. And they certainly weren't flexible and or scalable enough to handle it. And so a lot of what we're talking about is kind of like 
getting those core, those fundamentals in place so that they can then have a really strong onboarding process and employee support throughout. Because that's really where a lot of the NPS is driven from. You get those basics right. You get the person into the organization successfully. Then you can start to focus on some of the next window dressing. And so I would say it's um, fundamentally, we're still in the build the basics mode for the vast majority of companies. And so a lot of the companies we're talking with oftentimes starting the conversation along the lines of change management, where they say, here's where we are today, here's where we want to get to. We see Allware as a tool to help us work toward you know, an end goal. What it gives them is it removes the overhead associated with logistics, shipping, moving things, procurement, buying, all those activities that are currently on their plate gives them something scalable and a best practice that they can bring into the company. And then they can layer on on top those things that really do drive the most value, which are things that are not typically bought things, but they can then focus their time on making sure that they are using some effective tools. Like if you're a remote team, getting people together four times a year is an incredibly important tool for driving employee experience and inclusion. If they're a hybrid team, focusing on making hybrid really work for your folks as it relates to making sure that there's a reason to come into the office. Mandates don't function. All the way to if you're a full-time in the office environment, you know, looking around and working with other companies to see what benefits might come from being hybrid or remote. And so I think that that's been the real eye-opening moment is the conversation has really shifted from, you know, the knee-jerk, oh, I need to I need to buy employee experience and survive this great change more toward, okay, we learned something there. Let's change the way that we're solving this problem in a way that's more strategic and planned. And then we can layer on, we can focus, basically free up our time to focus effectively what employees are really asking for and really need. And I think I think that's been kind of an interesting part of the story. It was really counterintuitive and certainly surprised me as the couple of years developed. So in your answer, you called out the kind of three chief ways to work right now. So there's, you know, there's remote and there's hybrid and there's being exclusively in office. And it's interesting to hear you say that because a year ago or 18 months ago, the assumption would have been that we're remote today and we're going to be remote for the rest of our lives. And that's the situation. And it's just the thing that we need to adapt to. But in the past few months, and this is another thing that we've talked about a lot, we've seen a really interesting shift away from exclusively remote work, which is funny because in the thick of the pandemic, many people were predicting that work was just going to be fully remote permanently forever and ever. But we're now seeing many large companies calling their employees back to the office full time. So what is your take on this and how can companies kind of finally settle the office versus home debate? Because it seems like there are so many very polar responses to it. For sure. I mean, unlike so many things today, it's become really polarized. And I think a lot of folks have, have really missed the point. I think with the advent of, of us all working remotely, what it really did was it opened our eyes to the fact that there is an additional work model to be considered as a tool. And so I think as we as I think as we look back at this, what's what you have is basically, you know, three versions. The the hardcore in office, the hybrid, you know, the hybrid, which is also like the vast majority, I think more than three quarters of American companies either are actively hybrid or are becoming hybrid. 
might even be more. I think someone can at me in the comments, but I think it's anywhere from like 75 to 90% of the numbers I've seen. Uh, it's just a really extraordinary number. And so everybody seems to be selling on hybrid. And then there's remote, which is, I'll hone in on remote for a second. And I can talk a bit about like what it's good at and what it's not so good at. What it's amazing for is more diverse talent pools, um, being able to expedite a hiring process because you can find that person in a different city. You're no longer limited by geography. Uh, you can get really efficient on spend by not having an office. There's, there's there's a number of really great reasons to go remote. I think though, like all things, there's no one right answer in something as complex as how the 92 million knowledge workers in America spend their day. These are decisions between those first those three models that occur at a company level, a departmental level, a team level, but then also even as companies evolve. I certainly have an opinion that for younger companies of a certain kind, being in office can be a really great way to work super efficiently and, and collaboratively in one place and build camaraderie. Not better than remote, but I do think it can be faster. And then all the way you know, through uh, that becoming a, a larger company that then wants to have a international engineering team or they want to have engineers who are staffed in different time zones to be able to have coverage with hours. Great use case for remote. I think it's one of those things where it really depends, but everybody wants that one answer. What's that one thing going to be? I think though, to give people the kind of like a flavor of the one answer, I think if we look at the macro, even in the war of kind of return to offer at office, hybrid, whatever it might be, I think the interesting thing is the fact that I think what we're seeing more so of is actually companies are more distributed, but people are not more distributed. And so I'll say what that means. So everybody's deciding on hybrid. It seems that that's where the vast majority of the market is going. But what seems to be occurring is say you're a 500 person company and you're based in the US. You might have you know 300 people in the New York area 100 people in LA for a reason, and you might have another 100 people in Austin. And then you have at each one of those offices, you have people that are coming in three days a week. But those teams in between those offices are interacting over video conferencing. Is that a remote company? No, it's not. It's a modern company. And so that's the point that I think a lot of folks are missing is that a lot of what we learned in the pandemic has improved that situation, is encouraging companies to build that way. And so I, I believe that companies are going to become nodal and they're much more likely to be spread out in different locations for a variety of reasons. Everything from labor arbitrage to where certain trades or specializations might exist to sales team coverage, whatever it might be, there's been a tremendous amount of progress that's come from this change. And I think what you see is, you know, companies are monopolizing on that in a, in a good way. And I think it's going to lead to a lot of productivity that we'll see, you know, over the coming years. I mean, it's already become kind of commonplace. People seem to be settling on hybrid and this model. And I think there's going to be more of it because in many ways, it kind of blends the best of both worlds. And so I'd say I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy to see that, that though there's reporting of like a big snapback, I think the durable change, if I had to make my bet, I think the durable change is that hybrid's going to become the norm. Employees have been able to exercise a great deal more flexibility, which they deserve. That was a power imbalance. I think the power balance has found a nice equilibrium somewhere around interacting with the office a couple of days a week, and then being able to use you know the tools you know, like we're using to be able to interact across the state, but to be on one team. And so 
it's been a fascinating thing. And once again, uh, foreseen it, couldn't have projected it. But I do feel like a lot of the reporting is continuing to miss the point. And I hope the conversation swings more toward talking about kind of the, the benefits that have occurred and, and the wins, which from a business productivity perspective and people, I think you look at the people, it's really been a net benefit for employees. If you look at where employees were, say, 10 years ago versus uh, versus today. This big kind of, you know, over the these three years, this big shift, and not only that, not only COVID, but, you know, there's been a lot of shift even just in the past few months in what's happening with technology, telepresence, you know, AI, obviously. Are there common problems you're, you're still hearing from HR and, and IT leaders as they're still, you know, kind of going through this ever-changing, I don't want to say brave new world, because I think it's going to consistently like change and, and probably at a faster and faster pace over the next few years. But are there still common problems you're seeing being mentioned by HR and IT leaders that you speak with in, in the context of how their teams are working, but also how they're supporting their employees and where they're spending their time, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think I think one thing that's worth recognizing and kind of some of the common problems is worth recognizing that it's been a tough economy in kind of recent memory. And so I think what you see is HR and IT, are they are on the front lines of supporting employees and handling a lot of the mechanics of, of interacting with employees, certainly more so in when markets are not so healthy and you have situations where companies are downsizing and then also preparing for growth. And so I, I think focusing on HR and IT as like they themselves as people have had a pretty tough go, I think is something that's certainly clear and present, right? They were on the front lines of helping companies go through transformations in 2020, 21 into 22. And then you saw a real about face in the second half of 2022 into 23 as it related to markets and the activities they would have to do. And so you also saw HR and IT go from a mindset of where there was tremendous pressure on them from the broader, let's call it from their management to drive employee engagement, retention, acquisition, hiring, going and finding a tremendous amount of employees to then a quick about face where they're having to optimize cost at all costs. And I think doing that while of course maintaining employee experience has been incredibly challenging for them. And so really what they're, the common problems for them have been how do I do more with less? How do we continue to support employees the way they need to be supported, but in a way that I can defend to my management team in a way that is you know, fiscally responsible and as we're all operating in a very different economic climate? Because these are things that you can't get wrong, right? Onboarding and offboarding properly and well and humanely and setting a really great tone for someone's experience and interaction with a company. And so I think that's been like the, I think the core of kind of their challenge has really been, it's been a tumultuous human capital market, real peaks and troughs in, a, in really fast cycles. And so what you're seeing HR and IT looking for is partners that allow them to handle rapid growth as well as in the event they have to right size. And then in between, all while doing it in a capital efficient way, which is a real tap dance to get that right. And so I think that's really been kind of the core of it. So to kind of hone in on your previous answer, we are unfortunately in a climate that's leading a lot of companies to have to tend with economic uncertainty and layoffs. And I often see this kind of retaliation from the employee side where they are referring to layoffs as a last resort. And there's this kind of anger of 
why didn't you do the 10 other things to, you know, save my role before we got to the layoff stage? So maybe there isn't even a right answer to this, but I'm curious what your take is on what can companies do to streamline operations while still maintaining a high quality of employee experience? And even if that does mean a layoff, what's kind of the best way to to approach all of that? Yeah, I think fundamentally, one of the biggest things, and this is you know part of the conversation that we have day in and day out with HR and IT folks, and like, and they're well aware of this. It's it's a lot of times why they're talking to us, is the fact that they want to be as cost conscious as possible, but not while, but never trading off employee experience so that they never put themselves in a situation where they're spending stupid money. They're investing in the things that don't drive the most value. And so I think the real shift that's occurred is everybody is really planning around being kind of prudent, I think is what it comes down to. Is like if every team is well run and running in an efficient manner and maximizing the return on their investment, they're in the best possible position to avoid, you know, really tough scenarios, really tough choices. And I think I can say that anybody who is going into or through a layoff scenario, I can say with some confidence, it's almost always or hopefully that is the last resort. I can typically say that every other alternative has been considered before doing something that will affect the employee base. And so I think a lot of people are seeing reaching out to you know folks like us and tools like us uh, to be proactive about making sure that the company is as efficient and capital efficient as possible so that they can continue to deliver that employee experience that we've talked about, but doing so in a way that doesn't put them into a tricky position later. And so I think there's a couple of things, like what they're really looking for in many cases is tools that allow them that if they're hiring like crazy, they're not having to to meaningfully increase the size of their own team to be able to do so. And so you see service centers and companies, be that HRIT, that are automating parts of that process so that they themselves, like the rest of the business, have a scalable approach to it. And certainly in the down case as well, in the first place, they only brought on as many people as they truly need to manage these processes. And so as the company is starting to go through a right-sizing scenario, they also have tools and automations that will allow them to be able to do that without having to increase the size of their team. And so that whether the company is growing or shrinking, they're able to kind of maintain a really high level of employee experience, keep that at a a high bar, while also not having to increase the size of their own team, which would then, you know, run counter to kind of like cost goals that might be occurring. I'm excited through some of the conversations we've had and just obviously being close to the HR and IT tech space and watching it closely. I'm so excited about on both sides of the equation, like for the HR and people teams, and then also the employee experience, the evolution of tools and like how what's being built is really focused on kind of bettering the lives of both sides and reducing like the friction of, you know, the operational things that just don't need to be so hard to accomplish. And I think there's been a real movement there and that's really exciting, whether it is freeing up teams or making teams more efficient, just the idea of letting people focus on like what they should really be focused on, which is career development training, growth, improving the business and not, you know, the mundane things that honestly take a lot more time and energy than they should right now. Um, So I think there's a big kind of push there. 
I completely agree. And I think as a part of that, right, if if you have the ability to outsource and automate a lot of those tools that, you know, frankly, these teams didn't want to do or are not equipped or well-equipped to do themselves anyway, and can then focus their time on working with their teams to ensure that people are navigating this change well. And that's related to the folks who might be departing as well as the folks who are staying and vice versa. Yep, totally. We ask all of our guests this question, but tell us a little bit about what's your favorite way to work? How do you work? And and then the, the follow-up to that is, where do you see kind of work style and work culture moving? You know, it's been such a big shift over the past few years, and it's kind of the impetus for the creation of Allware. From what you're seeing and hearing or just guessing, you know, where do you see work culture moving in the next, you know, one, five or 10 years? Yeah. So um, with how I like to work, so if I'm heads down, I prefer to be remote. If I really need to get through some thought work and I don't want to be interrupted, I love to take that. So I live in New York. I love to take like a morning from home. And then I'm in, if I'm working on collaborative work, multiple people, brainstorming, ideating, whiteboarding, I do prefer to do that in person. It's certainly doable remotely, but it's my preference if I can. I think just, I feel that you can move faster. I can build commercial more quickly. And so for me, it's both, but also, you know, our team and our company are, we're a hybrid company. And so we have folks that are remote as well as people who are full-time in office. From a company perspective, I, I fully believe in it. Those are just, you know, my personal preferences for like, for how I get work done, but love to interact with everybody through a variety of work methods. As we said, it's a tool. And so based on the problem you're solving, there's this kind of a different matchup as it relates to whether it's an in-office meeting, a remote meeting, working solo low from a location. love to travel as well. So there are definitely times when it's great to be able to stretch a vacation and add a couple days and to work remotely. I think these are some of the great parts of this new work model that, we were, that we're all enjoying, which is just greater flexibility. You get to feel like more of a human being, live your life as well as do work. And I think that that balance has really found kind of a better match. And I would say where I see work culture going in the future. So I've been reading quite a bit about this and it's interesting. I think that first and foremost, we're three years into this. No one knows where it's going yet. Typically you look back with a 10 year lens to start to get a sense of history. We're living history. No mistake about that. This is history and no one knows where it's going to settle. And there's a lot of figuring out to do. And so fundamentally what I believe in, in the immediate term and the longer term, which I'll get to, but even in the medium term, what people need, that tools that enable companies to navigate this change that we're going through. And so tools that are flexible and helpful and work when you're growing and work when you're shrinking. And fundamentally, that's really where I see kind of like the middle term is we don't know what's going to happen. Everything from COVID-19 proved that nothing's off the table as it relates to another pandemic, to some other situation, to nothing, even to an economic change or war. Who the heck knows? But what we do know is we don't know. And so fundamentally, I think things that allow us to navigate this while maintaining our happiness and humanity and getting to work with folks and do work that inspires us. You know, that's what I believe in. And that's really what I think about, you know, for Allware is helping people navigate those changes in a way that's helpful to your point, Ben, and really well put to both sides of the aisle, to both employers and employees, because that's really what it comes down to is making that interaction as frictionless as possible and as easy as possible. And I think as we zoom out, I think some really interesting things are occurring if you look at actually population distributions, if you look forward, you know, 10 years, 20 years, even 30 or 40 years kind of in the future for what I think will happen, 
what we're seeing is, you know, generationally, at least in the American economy and certainly Western economies, we appear to be having fewer children per capita. And so what happens is if you look at a distribution of population, like millennials, for example, and Gen Z, there's quite a few of us. And so what's going to happen is there's, in the workforce, we're going to be, if you've ever looked at like a population distribution map, hopefully not. I don't know. For some people, they might be really dry. For me, they're exciting. You'll see this kind of this bulge moving through it, which is oh, kind of boomers were bigger than us. But then the millennial is also is quite large and certainly larger than the distributions below us. And so we're actually going to be a very important part of the workforce for a long time. And so what that means longer term is the fact that that we're going to be you know, working and companies are going to want to, I believe, entice aging millennials to stay in the workforce. And so I think what you're going to see are things like people having phase one, two, and three careers, where people start in something uh, and then maybe they go back to school even much later in life than prior and then go and do something else later in life as they maintain their interest in the workforce, you're going to see things like, I believe you're going to see sabbaticals. You'll see sabbaticals where somebody might be, let's say a millennial work, makes it to the workforce into their mid-50s, they'll take a year or two off. Take a year or two off and then re-engage with the workforce in a way that currently, that's a career killer. If you were to be ending your career in your late 40s and then try to re-engage the workforce, you'd be met with blank stares. And so there's going to be some really interesting changes because of these population distributions. And so I think what's so interesting and exciting about that what I'm saying is certainly something that would have felt incredibly far-fetched in 2014 before the proliferation of things like more hybrid and flexible work, which is one big step where we showed that the workforce and the economy would welcome a new kind of shift in the way that we function. And we're seeing it already. If you look at the distribution of people who are working in office or remotely, if we focus on the employee, remote can be a really powerful tool for a recent parent caring for an elderly parent or someone who wants to have a new experience or just, or someone who likes to be in the office. They're earlier in their career. They want to do that osmosis learning. They want to be in office. So you're seeing that playing out right now. And then I think as we look kind of a 10 and 20 and 30 year future, I think what you're going to see is people kind of flowing in and out of the workforce more organically and really taking this to kind of the next level. And so I think as it relates to the future of work and, and where I think it goes in the next one, five, 10, 20 years, 30 years, I think it's very exciting. I certainly, I'd love to think about what phase two career might be, certainly phase three. Like for me, I've always wanted to be a teacher. I would love to be a teacher later in life and take a sabbatical. I don't know, go make no in Italy or something. Who doesn't want to do that, right? I definitely want to do that. Right? Like, come on. Everybody's watched <laughs> ma- you know, Masters of None or something and, and, and thought about going and working in a Noki shop, but knowing that you could then come back and return to your career at a later date is something that's not so, it wouldn't be a high confidence decision today. And I think that's what's going to change and very excited about it. Yeah, I also think like the flex, just so much, you know, more and more people even just becoming freelancers and changing their definition of like what it means to work and does work always have to be at a larger company or can you do these side hustles and just having more access and more resources, I think is really interesting. And I think we'll continue to see that evolve. I mean, we've saw all sorts of that, you know, both used and abused (laughs) over the past few years. You know, once in a while you see those posts of like the engineers that say they're working four or five different full-time jobs, (laughs) (laughs) you know, fan companies and things like that. Um, And I I think we're evolving that and exploring. It'll be very interesting, but then let's not even get into right now how AI is going to change all that too and how people are outsourcing all their stuff to that. 
Yeah, exactly. Everything I just said is completely undone by the fact that for those who've seen WALL-E, we're just going to be the people on the spaceship sitting on those hoverboards while the AI does all the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and TV and movies only get better, so we'll have an endless amount of content to sit and watch while we're, <laughs> while we're doing that. <laughs> I can't wait. Better or worse, you know. <laughs> Well, Oscar, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so great to talk with you. Usually for our very last question, we ask our guests to plug themselves, but I think that's a little strange to ask you in this case, because if someone's listening to this, then they hopefully know about you and at least aware. But tell us where people can find you if they'd like to learn more about you and what you do. Oh, wow. Great question. So I'm not good at this. I've been having to learn over the last like year how to talk about myself. I have third child syndrome. It's like not a thing. Grew up in a minivan. I was always in the back of it. Like no one asked my opinion. So I guess they can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably my biggest platform right now. I've been having a lot of fun meeting folks, interacting with them. So send me an in-mail, keep an eye on what we've been posting and can't wait to connect. Awesome. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. Work Everywhere is presented by Allware, the work enablement solution that provides everything you need to work from anywhere. Companies from startups to enterprises save on time and cost by trusting Allware with employee provisioning, procurement, logistics, and asset management. Learn more at allware.co.